Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, this is Robert Davi, and you're in the projection booth with Mike and Justin. Hey folks, welcome to a special Redux episode of The Projection Booth. I've never done one of these before, but things just happen to work out the way that they worked out. Around the time that this is coming out, I'm also putting out an episode on a documentary called The Writer With No Hands, which is concerning a screenwriter named Gary DeVore. Gary DeVore was also the screenwriter of Tracks as well as quite a few other things, including the amazing Running Scared, and personally, another movie that I really enjoy, which is Raw Deal. He wrote some other things as well that I'm not giving short shrift to, but those two really have a special place in my heart. Now, Tracks, on the other hand, had a very special place in Mondo Justin's heart, and we did an episode on it way back when. I think it was episode 21. And when we recorded that episode, there was a little bit of a snafu technical error that happened where Justin had interviewed both Robert Davi and Shadow Stevens about their work in the film and lost those interviews. And that has been a bone of contention for a long time. Not me having anything, holding anything against Justin as far as that goes, but it was just one of those like, oh my God, I wish that we had been able to put those interviews out there, but we weren't. So while I'm doing my research into Gary DeVore, talking about writer with no hands, I said, you know what? I'm going to reach out to these guys again. I'm going to reach out to Priscilla Barnes. I'm going to reach out to Robert Davi. I'm going to reach out to Shadow Stevens and see if I can redo the Davi and Stevens interviews, maybe even get Priscilla Barnes involved in this Unfortunately, Robert Davi, Priscilla Barnes didn't get back to me, but Shadow Stevens did. So this episode, we're going to go back, way back, back into time, re-edit things, tweak things a little bit, you know, take out sort of the references to the interviews not being there, those kind of things, taking those things out, putting in an interview with Shadow Stevens and making this, hopefully it's not the French plantation of podcast. Hopefully we'll, we'll avoid that. If I talk for another half an hour and add in some spooky music, maybe then it'll be that way. But as far as I know, we're making it bigger, stronger, faster. And now for your listening pleasure, we have a Redux episode of Tracks from the Projection Booth. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. I got a machine in begging for his life! Your kind went out a hundred years ago. I think I want to give cookies a shot. 
Cookies? You want to take time off and just eat cookies? I want to bake them. What the hell's the matter with you cookies? You can't bake. Garbage, you dump. Trash, you kill. That's what happens when you don't behave. Send fifty dollars to Cocaine Anonymous. Always treat your competition with dignity. Come back again, and you're dead. Good night. All right, Biggie and Cookies. Sorry, I was just grabbing the cookies out of the oven. How'd they turn out? We'll see soon enough. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Projection Booth. I'm Mike White, and with me as always is Mr. Mondo Justin. Hello out there, everyone in Radio Land. You see, you can call us Radio Aces, and we can offer you... Whoa, whoa, dude. We're not covering tape hits this week. That's next week. It was your pick this week, remember? We're talking tracks. It's why I was upstairs baking my arse off for you making your precious chili con cookies for the show. Oh, yeah. This week was my pick, and I've chosen something a little off the beaten path. Uh, I've picked the 1989 Dino De Laurentiis oddball action spoof, Tracks, starring Shadow Stevens and Robert Davi. Goonies! Shh! And the beautiful and ever-lovely orgasmic Priscilla Barnes. Love me some Three's Company, PB. Right. So Tracks has never, you know, seen the light of day on DVD to date. It's uh, it's quite a shame because it's actually a lot of fun. You know, it's a film about a former small town sheriff that turns all world mercenary. He gets burned out on, on, you know, doing the killing for hire thing. He decides to call it quits to become the next famous Amos. And yes, that's the guy that makes cookies and sells them in all the malls across the United States. You know, Tracks figures if Amos can do it, so can he. On the way to building his cookie empire, he encounters a small town that's ruled by an evil crime lord who's played with comic genius by Robert Dobby. Goonies! Dude, one more time. Seriously. So Dobby tries to ease the tension by offering Trax a limited partnership by buying into Trax's cookie business. But Trax is offended when Dobby's character, Aldo Pellucci, tells him that his cookies could use a little less chili, causing an all-out gun battle, which makes Trax threaten Pellucci to get out of town... And, uh, you know, Trax is forced to stand tall. The small town eventually gets saved. And his cookie business is a success across the United States. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. I can't imagine reading the script for the first time. I know, right? This seemed like such a good idea when they wrote it. You know, I've been champing this film for years, actually. Even before I even knew what it was called. I saw it for the first time back in around 90 on HBO late one night, and I laughed my took us off, and I've never forgot it, actually. You know, I I didn't take the time to look it up until about a couple years ago when I first saw uh, there was a Showtime remake uh, that Mad TV's Michael McDonald directed of uh, the Roger Corman Bucket of Blood, and uh, had Anthony Michael Hall and Will Ferrell in it, and it was called The Death Artist, and uh, Shadow Stevens is also in it, and so was Mink Stoll. Uh, you know, so went on a shadow kick for a while because, of course, you know, everyone listening should know already that Shadow Stevens is not only an actor and a television voiceover announcer, but he's also 
one of the biggest radio DJs in the history of American radio. You know, he's like a radio god, super influential. I'm a huge radio fan, so I'm a huge shadow fan. You know, uh, Mike, you're a first timer. The tracks version this week. Are you on tracks with tracks or off tracks with tracks, and why? I think I'm on track with tracks. I did see it for the first time this week, and was pretty uh, pretty happy with it. It is goofy as hell. I'm really glad you liked it. I was a little worried that you weren't going to like it, actually. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it, it's, it, I can see where ha- you having seen it back in the, the early 90s, where it would be, what the heck is this kind of thing? And yeah, uh, watching it now, it's like, where did this thing come from? You know, I had never heard of it even before. When you had uh, talked about it, I was like, Okay, I, I don't know what this thing is, and I can't say that I've ever seen Shadow Stevenson in an action movie before. And yeah, which, you know, I'm a big Robert Davi fan. He's in one of my favorite Christmas movies of all times, Die Hard. So it was really nice to see him in this. And he's looking pretty svelte, looking pretty good, you know, nice young Robert Davi. And uh, he's very lovable in this film for being such a, a horrible character. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. And, you know, that's the funny thing is when I first saw it for the first time, like, like I said, I couldn't remember the title of it. And I never I didn't care. I saw it with a couple friends late one evening. And for years, you know, we would just be sitting around drinking or something and we'd be like, you know, speaking to the mic or we'd say this cookies could use some more chili. You know, we always were <laughs> quoting it, but we never had any inclination of what it was called. We even cared to look it up. We just knew that Shadow Stevens was in this weird movie and about a guy that quits killing people to make cookies professionally. So we always just loved the movie a ton. And, and um, you know, with that being said, I want to play a clip real fast. The movie, this is a, a scene where uh, Shadow Stevens as mercenary decides to call it quits and uh, become a cookie baker. Roll one, take one. I've been thinking about it. It's time to go home. And do what? I don't know. Did you ever get tired of shooting people? See, there it is. You're just exhausted, wrung out. Boy, don't do that to you. I told you to get up a little early, meditate with me, but you don't listen. I think I want to give cookies a shot. Cookies? You want to take time off and just eat cookies? You'll get fat. I want to bake them. It's next big war. <laughs> cookies. Cookies? <laughs> this guy is good. I can take him. I should have seen this coming. It's the obvious move. Killing to cookies. It's like where you've been headed all along. <laughs> what the hell's the matter with you cookies? You can't bake. You're going to wuss out? Wear an apron? you got to wear an apron. The concept for tracks is really interesting, and I want to see if you thought, ultimately, does the concept work? I mean, I know you said you liked the film, but... It's quite an original concept. So, do you mean do you think it works? Do you think this film is for everyone? I don't know if it's for everyone. I think it's definitely for fans of parody films. It's not like a ZAZ parody where everything is a everything is a joke layered on top of each other. But it's definitely a parody of the action film. Tracks is pretty much the biggest badass around, and nothing phases him. And he could be portrayed as being kind of naive because it's just like he'll walk into a room. There's 50 guys there that want him dead and he'll kill them all kind of thing or take care of them all. However he wants. There's a level of absurdism to it that I just really found appealing. I think one of my favorite scenes of the whole film is the 
whole montage of all the different places that he's involved in and just how completely unfazed he is. There's one part where he's walking along, just having a nice conversation. All these explosions are happening and everything. And he's just talking about how he wants to get out of the biz. You know, he's just kind of tired of it. So I, I enjoy that. It's almost like, um, like a lighthearted version of commando or something. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And, what I like about the character of Tracks too is his he's you know, he's naive but he's also invincible. You know, and when he does actually get shot, it really rocks his world and he get, he's sad about it. You know, he's like really sad about it. He like mentions it to a lot of people, including Priscilla Barnes and the like amazing grocery store scene, you know, where she's like uh, orgasmically turned on by the shot and climbs him. <laughs> I wanna let's smother ourselves in cookie batter. So yeah, that's a really I really like and, and actually, you know, Shadow you know, he's actually a pretty good actor. Like I've seen him in a few things and he's got a lot of great qualities and, you know, and he's, he gives a lot of good looks and it's interesting because, um, he had told me that when he was originally given the script, it was totally different. Like it was to be played seriously. So he literally thought he was making an action movie. And then when he got down, they shot the film at, at uh, North Carolina. at Dino. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, they learned to the studio. And when he got down there, it had been rewritten. And, you know, he was like, basically he read it and he was just like, huh? He's like, I don't get it. And he's like, please explain it to me. Like, I'm a clever guy. I'm a funny guy. But please explain this to me. And they were like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, basically the director was a first time director. The writer was an alcoholic and he was drunk all the time on the set. He recounted to me that basically on the first day of shooting was over, he went back to his hotel room and he was keeping like a ledger, like a diary of sorts of writing his experiences making the movie. He wrote simply, I'm doomed. Oh man, that's a horrible position to be. <laughs> I actually, I asked him uh, if there was any method preparation for his character in the sense that, uh, you know, did he study baking? And he kind of gave that a laugh and said, you know, the humor there in the facts is Trax thinks that he's actually a baker. He thinks he can do it. He's famous Amos can do it. So why can't I? And, you know, that's alluded to in the point. You know, he says the next war is the cookie war. I'm glad that famous Amos, not to ruin anything for anybody, but I'm glad that he makes a little cameo appearance in there, too. That was really nice to see. <laughs> right. And there were a lot of ad libs, too, like uh, the chili con cookies idea and the sushi cookies were, were Shadow's idea and also the puppy puppy swirls was his idea as well. That wasn't in the script. Yeah. One thing about Shadow, he's got kind of a goofy face, silly putty-ish, you know, and it's it's just kind of fun to watch him act, just to see the kind of faces that he makes. And one thing I'll have to say is that I, I know I've gone and I, I did the research on this to see if he's lost all of his hair over the years. He hasn't. But man, his hairline is real far back in this movie. And the way that he wears his hair all feathered and stuff and, you know, up the way that it is, I'm just like... Not a good look. Well, you're right. And I remember, I mean, I remember as a younger kid watching Hollywood Squares in the 80s, you know, and he was the voiceover announcer on the 80s Hollywood Squares, and they'd always cut to him. And, you know, he was, he always had that big poofy hair then. He was always like, you know, hey, like he was Peggy Lipton in it to the, to the camera, you know, and doing all kind of crazy hijinks. The whole reason why he'd got this movie was because, um, you know, he was 
doing LA radio in LA in the late seventies and in the early eighties. And he had done these really successful commercials in LA on television and they got a ton of notice and De Laurentiis actually signed him to a three picture deal. And so tracks was the first picture in the deal, you know, just kind of took off from, from there. You know, he's still really successful. He's, he does the announcing for the Craig Ferguson show on CBS. So, I mean, he's still, you know, he's still got a lot going for him. And plus he's got his new radio show. So things are going really good. You mentioned a little bit about the whole absurdity of the situation. I think, you know, in tracks, that's the most humorous part is just how absurd it is. And then also the subtlety of the characters, because the characters all play it very straightforward. That's what I think is the funniest part about it, is they all are very serious, no matter how silly the situation is. You know, that's totally fine and totally logical idea for him to quit being a world mercenary and make cookies. It's totally logical. And that's the humor is for me is is that aspect and just how over the top and and just how silly everything is. I love it. I love it to death. I want to give some props out to the guy that plays the police chief in this. I thought that he was absolutely hilarious. For folks listening at home, this police chief is like completely at the end of the of his rope. You know, the town is just really going to hack, and he's trying to play it straight, trying to be like you know. We need to take control of the city and stuff. And then when Trax comes in and just starts kicking everybody's butt, the reporters are asking him at a press conference, you know, what he feels about that. And he just goes completely off about how he really feels. Chief Decker, what is your personal feeling about this man's approach to law and order? What about it, Chief? Well... Compared to a lot of judges who think that adequate punishment for murderers and child molesters is a tiny room with a sink and a toilet and TV, three meals a day, recreation, library, schooling, conjugal visitations, movies, and a good chance of getting out and doing it all over again, it is damn refreshing. The mayor, she's not very happy about the way that he's talking. I want to talk about the performances of, in particular, Robert Davi and Priscilla Barnes. You know, Robert Davi is, for me, what makes the movie as well. Like Shadow's great as tracks and it's hilarious. But Davi's got, in my opinion, the best lines in the movie, and his character is just a ton of fun to watch. My favorite is just he's always, no matter what he says, he's like, you know, he just says something. He's like, I have you killed. <laughs> That's the best part about it. You know, he's <laughs> he's this typical guy. When I talk to him. He had come off of uh, – he did the Raw Deal movie, and the producer, I think, on Raw Deal was the same guy who was putting together tracks, and that's why he got involved with tracks. Which is funny because when I said before that this was like the comedy version of Commando, really it's much more like Raw Deal, especially because of the you shouldn't drink and bake that line. So I, I definitely appreciated that. Right, and then also um, when, I, when, I, when I talked to him – it was really funny because, you know, he was like, it's really, he's like, it's really funny you contacted me about tracks because I've never, ever talked to any person besides you that's ever mentioned tracks to me. I get asked about Goonies, Raw Deal, the Bond picture, you know, all these other movies. You're the first person that's talked to me about tracks. Yeah. So, you know, Dobby's first film was actually this film he did with Frank Sinatra and he got really familiar and became kind of friendly with Sinatra. It was called Contract on Cherry Street. And it was a TV movie it was made in 1977. So, you know, He's an Italian-American, you know, let's just buy into the fact that he's an Italian-American, we'll stereotype him and think that he's familiar with the mob lifestyle. So let's just play it at that. In addition, 
you know, I think we should spend some time talking about Priscilla Barnes because I heard that you're quite a fan of her in this movie. I am quite a fan of her, and I'm quite a fan of her outfits. She wears some uh, very uh, luxurious satin uh, <laughs> blouses in this. I don't know why they were so distracting to me, maybe because of her sweater puppies. It seemed very, like, inappropriate uh, mayoral uh, wear. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, how did she get elected to the small town? That's what I want to know. That would be the prequel to tracks that we have yet to see. So maybe that was the second part of the trilogy that Shadow Stevens was booked to. Maybe you could give me the mayoral facts of tracks, if that's at all possible. <laughs> you know, I love I love her in this movie too, and I agree with you 100 percent in terms of what you just said. Uh, I am a huge Priscilla Barnes fan as well, and um, you know, there's that great scene. And, I would love to read the script of tracks just so I could see what these characters are like on the page versus what's on the, the you know, the final, the, the film, because, you know, I want to see how she's written in particular. Cause if in the film, you know, she's this, she's the mayor of the town, just like Mike said. And, and, um, she's constantly in a state of, uh, she's on the edge of orgasm every minute of the, every minute of the film, you know, there's little key phrases that set her off. You know, there's this great scene, you know, in a library where Trax is researching um, some stuff and she walks in to meet him and there's this whole exchange. And, um, you know, he says something about satisfying something and she just has like an orgasm and she attacks him and rips his, you know, she rips her shirt off and, you know, she basically says, uh, well, let's play the clip. You're him. Well, not him, just me. Why the library? Research. Looking for a better batter? Oh, my rocks taste like cookies. My <laughs> cookies taste like rocks. All right. We can't have any of that. We are on opposite sides. I'm good, you're bad. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm hot. Well, I'm warmer than I was. So are you going to tell me why I'm here, or are you just wasting my time? I'm going to finish the job off right. Oh, job <gasps> I, I have to have the names of the power brokers the <gasps> crime bosses the, the big guys oh the big guys right well fine now big guys mm. 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 <laughs> so why didn't you just ask the chief you pay the bills, you're the one I have to satisfy. Oh, satisfy. Yes. I pay. You satisfy. Oh. How do you want it? Cash or trash? Trash or kill. Oh. Mary, 
governors can't fornicate with the voters. He compromises the office. I haven't been late since I was elected three years ago. Let's dick her. It's such a great scene, and you know, there's another one that we can't play because of the swearing in it. But there's a great scene that Mike and I just talked about earlier, which is where they're in the grocery store, and um, he's looking for sugar in the baking aisle. She walks up to tracks, and she basically wraps her fist in her head, you know, insinuating something very sexual. And you know, it's she's just a great character. It's just it's just a well done character, super hilarious character. I just love it a ton. Something I want to talk about too is the fact that when the film was done. And I talked to Shadow about this, actually. Um, you know, the film, it only played in theaters for like a minute, literally. And everyone was really unhappy with the cut. It literally the played just a minute. Like, they just played the opening it, first minute, and then they yeah. turned off the lights, and they turned up the lights, and they're like, sorry, folks, got to go Were home. You there? Were you there? <laughs> I was there. I was there at the premiere in North Carolina. Yeah, and uh, so everyone's kind of upset with how the film turned out, and... Um, you know, Shadow actually tried to convince uh, De Laurentiis to lend him the raw materials because at the time he had his own production company. And he begged and pleaded with De Laurentiis to let him recut the movie. And uh, Laurentiis uh, refused. Well, this this movie came out in 1988. And I know we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about tape heads. But 88 was not a very good year for Dino De Laurentiis. This was right around the time that his whole world imploded and his company went out of business. Every movie that was involved with De Laurentiis got thrown into basically bankruptcy court and got, you know, held. So I think tracks escaped that. I think it came out before the whole bankruptcy thing, but Dino probably had some other things on his mind at the time and didn't really give a rip about tracks. What? No, no, you're right. I, it's funny. Cause they, they did kind of save the film. They actually... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. They licensed it to HBO. Put it on cable. That's where I saw it, of course. And uh, HBO Home Video was uh, who originally actually released the film on VHS. So, you know, thanks to that smart decision, everyone can see tracks now, you know, which is another example of it's such an anomaly. This this movie is it's such an oddity that and it could only exist to me in the VHS era, you know, because how many VHS is out there? you know, were released that people haven't seen yet. Even there's, there's still probably hidden gems out there that no one's seen, you know, and, and tracks is definitely one of those. So I want to see Mike, if you, you know, do you have a couple oddities 
from the VHS era that you think no one knows about and we should discuss? Well, this kind of goes along with our discussion last week of uh, Crime Wave. When that came out as the big Crime Wave on VHS, and that's the only way that folks can see it. But, yeah, there are um, – I'm trying to think of some other films that I've seen just on VHS that aren't available currently on DVD or – um, you know, like Citizens Band, I won't say is a oddity. It's a really great film by Jonathan Demme, and I don't understand why that one isn't out on DVD, but that one's currently only on VHS, though it is available on Netflix streaming. There's one called The Baron that I really like a lot. It's a, um, I hesitate to say it's a black exploitation film because there are there are black exploitation elements to it. There's a lot of violence and there's some, you know, some torture scenes and like some drug dealing and all this kind of stuff. And that's, you know, like the B story and the A story is a filmmaker trying to get his film made and he will stop at nothing to get his movie made, which is pretty unique to the black exploitation canon. And then, uh, you know, I know you only asked for a couple, but I'll give you a third one. One of my favorite films that still isn't out on DVD, and even talking to the filmmaker, John Daniels, he, <laughs> he's like, I don't know why anybody would want to see this on DVD. <laughs> so I don't know if it'll ever get released on DVD, but that's his film, Getting Over, where he plays uh, record executive Mike Barnett uh, in charge of Impossible Funky Records, uh, a great black label that is being put down by the white parent company and the uh of course everything gets resolved with a battle of the bands and i kind of you know i always enjoy battle of the bands movies even though these are all disco bands so there's no instrument playing going on it's just a lot of singing so it sounds like it's the the black exploitation version of argum music war yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i have a couple that are you know really oddball ones um that i'm a huge fan of that never have seen the light of day anywhere. Um, one is this film called Fatal Skies, um, and the director of the film is actually escaping me right now, but uh, Glenn Coburn actually has something to do with the film, and he was the director of Bloodsuckers from Outer Space. And um, so, but Fatal Skies is this really hilarious movie. It takes itself super seriously, and it's got uh, Timothy Leary as an evil chemical dumper who's hell-bent on stopping these rascally kids from exposing his operation in the middle of the desert. They discover his whole thing because they're in, really big into skydiving. And they, in the beginning of the film, they go up in this plane, they skydive, and they land in the middle of this wasteland filled with all these toxic chemical uh, barrels. And they find out Leary is behind it. And he, Leary is so good in it. Like, he's, uh, he's always swearing. He's pushing people around. He's punching people. And yeah, I mean, you've heard Timothy Leary talk before. Right. So it's like, no matter what he says, unless he's talking about some third eye metaphysics it's unbelievable right so when he's telling you know when he's saying to this he's saying to these kids like you darn kids you stay away from my operation i'm gonna kill you you know it's like you cannot help but laugh right it's, it's so it's so funny and then um the other film that i really like that that a lot of people haven't seen or even heard of that's not on dvd is this film called shack out on 101 from 1955 and it's got lee marvin in it and keenan Wynn. keenan Wynn was you know he's Huge character actor throughout the 50s and 60s. He was in Jerry Lewis's Cinderella. And uh, Lee Marvin is this uh, – he plays this character named Slob. And he's a short-order cook in this diner on the on the coast in California. And there's this whole story about military secrets being – he buys military secrets from this installation, sells them. And there's all these other little subplots going on. It's really good, actually. It's kind of nourish. And then uh, that film was the inspiration for this film that came out in 1995 that I really like called Payback with Joan Severance, which – is really 
unrelated to Shack 101 on the story level, but as the location and some of the other themes going on, it's related. But yeah, I want to cover Payback later in this year. Yeah, and check out on 101 is terrific. They showed that on TCM Underground. I think it was either last year or the year before. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was the first cool. time I got to, to see it. I remember they carried that on VHS over at uh, Thomas Video, but I never rented it. But yeah, it was really nice to see and you know, good, you know, good quality print of it and everything out on, on uh, TCM Underground. And yeah, it was nice to see Lee Marvin and Keenan Wynn in a movie together because I'm a big fan of Point Blank and they're in that together as well. So yeah, that's a great film. Really good, really underrated, and I wish that that was more readily available. I know, me too. I have, yeah, I just have I have a VHS that I bought a few years back at like a thrift store. So, um, but so I guess we should talk a little bit about you know what is your favorite scene in the movie in tracks. I should probably say something with Shadow Stevens because he is such an integral part to the film. But I really do like that police chief. I really just think that he's kind of where it's at in this movie. He kind of reminds me of Re- Reginald Val Johnson in the first Die Hard, you know, and I probably was thinking Die Hard while I was watching this because Robert Davi was in it. But, um, yeah, I think him and I think uh, just his explosion at the press conference is my favorite part. When you think of Reginald Johnson, you're sure not thinking of Family Matters? I am definitely not thinking of Family Matters. You know, that's such a great scene. You know, my favorite scene, actually, one of the funniest scenes in the film. And also, uh, when I talked to Robert Davi about this scene, he had told me that when he he was actually at the, the, the first screening of the movie with an audience, and he said that he had never heard laughter in the audience as prominent as he had when the scene was on the screen. And uh, he actually thinks and he's wants to be uh, he's more than willing to argue the fact that he thinks this is the longest fart in cinema history. Oh, yeah. I wonder if there's a fart so, counter out there, maybe some sort of website out there that keeps track of that kind of stuff. This is a scene that comes uh, near the end of the film. It's uh, basically tracks has has threatened crime lord uh, Aldo Pucci to get out of town or he's dead. And so uh, Aldo tries to make amends and he shows up. Uh, out there's tracks and his partner in the film uh they're making cookies outside <laughs> and so Pellucci shows up and gets out of his car he's like i'm clean don't frisk me you know i'm clean and he basically says look we can be friends we can be partners let me buy into your cookie business and you know i've got this great slogan which is if you don't buy these cookies i'll kill you and uh you know so at first he has to sample the goods See, I've been doing some thinking, and, uh, well, I, uh, I heard about your cookies. I mean, maybe it's time that I get into some legitimate enterprises. Uh, you go into business with me. <laughs> you go into business with us? That's right. I got a marketing angle. I mean, these cookies, they could taste like sh**. Can and do. Well, you see, that's the beauty of this, uh, sales pitch. Ready? Buy these cookies, or I kill you. You're unbelievable. When people finally buy and eat my cookies, it'll be because they are truly tasty, not because someone is threatening their life. Try one? Thank you. Smells familiar. What's in this? Chili. Chili. Chili con cookie. Very good. 
maybe a little too much chili, but I think you're onto something. Floji, you were supposed to be out of town by today. I just gave you a one-hour extension. We can't work this out? I'd be running along. I could... You know, I think if I threatened to kill people, if they didn't eat your cookies, they still wouldn't eat them. <laughs> you know what I think of your cookies? That's what I think of your cookies. Let's move up and win. You know, one of my favorite pits of the movie is just such a throwaway part, but I love it, is when they're doing the chase on the rooftops and he crashes into the one house and he's like, what's that delicious smell? <laughs> and they're cooking like what, like tuna, tuna turnovers or something that's really awful kind of cookies. And he's just like, "Yo, this is my market. You know, I, I can't wait. I, I wish that those folks would show up again at some point during the movie. <laughs> I really love that scene, too, because his interest in cookies is so wrong <laughs> he's attracted to tuna cookies sushi cookies chili con cookies puppy swirls that are in the shape that when you know they come out of the oven they look like dog drops you know that's that, that's my favorite part about it is just how how off he is and his interest in cookies and uh, another scene again it's a robert davi scene that i think is absolutely hilarious and it, it's very airplane-ish naked gun-ish is is there's a scene um where davi is uh sitting in his bed with his wife, he's lifting barbells, and he's uh, apparently got a um, you know a sexual issue, and his wife is trying to pleasure him while he's working out. Eventually, uh, Trax comes busting into his house on a motorcycle. Trax says, uh, "Up, up, up!" And uh, Pel- uh, Pellucci, uh, you, you there's a the camera cuts to this uh, the shot of uh, Robert Davi in bed, and you can see his uh, his his blanket over his uh, nether regions it's very large and it literally almost goes to the top of his face. You can't even see his face. And, uh, there's a great scene there. Uh, after tracks leaves his wife, cause you know, his wife's basically like, you know, if he's leaving town, I'm not leaving town and and uh, he's like, he's a killer. And then, so finally, you know, they have this argument tracks leaves and then he just really pulls back the blanket slightly and he's tired of her nagging him. So he goes speaking to the mic and he looks down. That's my favorite. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. All right, we are going to take a break and play an interview with Shadow Stevens, Trax himself. You were kind of born into the business, wasn't your dad and uncle? Aren't, weren't they involved in the radio? My father did play-by-play of basketball games for a short period of time. He was a basketball hero in North Dakota, known to this day as the hooker. My dad could do hook shots from anywhere in the court. And as I was growing up, as a matter of fact, he would get kicked out of fairs uh, where he would go and win the big bears, uh, uh, you know, like the three foot, four foot tall teddy bears, uh, when by making the, you know, uh, shots into the small hoops. He he would just do it and do it. It was amazing, and uh, so he did play by play. And my uncle owned radio stations, and my uncle heard that I was making recordings on my dad's tape recorder real funny little recordings. And I was hypnotized by it. I I thought it was amazing. So as a gift, 
he sent me a wireless transmitter that you have to assemble. You have to solder it together. And so I was good at following directions and built this little thing. And then after it was built, it was magic. I could, I could broadcast from the bedroom into the living room. So I went to the local TV store and I, and I went to the repair shop and I said, how do I soup this up? You know, how do I make it bigger, faster, wider? And so he showed me, you know, well, we're going to do this. And he said, what you really got to do is you have to put up an antenna, a really, you know, a big antenna. So at, at I guess, 10 years old, I was, I climbed up to the top of my three-story house with wire between my teeth, a hammer and a hook in my back pocket, inched my way to the, to the peak of the roof, inched along the peak, hung upside down over the edge and hammered the hook into the side of the house so I could attach my antenna and then um, stretched it to an evergreen tree in the backyard about 100 feet away. So I had this 100-foot antenna and it was grounded and it was and I was broadcasting. I could broadcast a mile in every direction. It was amazing. So then I was discovered by the man on the street this is the general manager of the local radio station, which ironically turned out to be owned by my uncle. And the man on the street said, you know, uh, oh, what do you like? What are you interested in? And I went, oh, I, I like art. You know, paint, I paint monster T-shirts and, and I like radio. I have this radio station. Oh, he was fascinated. He went, well, you should come down to the to the station and talk to us. So I did. And um, it was a short time later, they did a promotion. World's Youngest Disc Jockey, Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock on KEYJ. And I was in the big time. And my, <laughs> I have a picture. They put a, my picture in the paper. It was adorable. Standing and sitting there next to the microphone in a stack of 45s. And I would have to go lay out the show and the things I was going to be talking about. <laughs> And I did that for a couple of years and then ended up um, working part-time and weekends and vacation through high school until I got to be um, a junior. And then I started, I wanted to make more money. So I I started to do manual labor, really hardcore stuff. I worked on on a street crew and, and put in asphalt and I worked on a railroad section crew and lived in a boxcar in Zap and Gackle, North Dakota. A boxcar in summer in North Dakota. It's not like the maid comes in to clean up after the salt of the earth, stinking, drinking, smoking, farting um, workers that were my cohorts who were also living in the boxcar. You know, I was up at five in the morning and finished at eight or nine at night. And I came to the meaning of life, which was if I went back and went and did something I loved. If I never slept again for the rest of my life, it would never be work. This is work. I don't want to do this. So I went back. I had made enough money to buy a new car. It was great. Went to the University of North Dakota and got on a radio station. I was. It was terrible. I could play you tapes. You'd laugh. When you're there at 10 years old, of course, you sound exactly the same way that you sound right now, correct? Exactly. You know, it it was an enigma. Great big voice from a little tiny. No, no. 
uh, you know, everybody in my family has bigger voices. And two of my brothers uh, were in radio. One still is. And my uncle, of course, ended up owning a bunch of radio stations. He died early, died in his 50s, and left uh, his empire to his sons, who all parlayed that into giant, you know, big organizations, stations all over the Midwest, all did really well. And then their their sons ended up doing the same thing. So the uh, the empire, the radio empire is kind of in the blood. When did you become Shadow Stevens? I went from the University of North Dakota after three years ma majoring in art to the University of Arizona. I got a job at KIKX and um, I worked full time and went to school full time and I was um, in plays and, you know, in the, in the theater. And I changed my major to um, drama and journalism. And that lasted for two years. And then I got a job in Boston. On my way to Boston, I stopped in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And in Alamogordo, this is all true. I mean, it sounds like a movie, but it's, it's hilarious. At a phone booth across the street, across the highway, was a was a gigantic on the flats of New Mexico was um, a sign that said atomic testing range do not enter. I I go to the phone booth and I call Boston. Okay, I'm on my way. They go, yeah, that's great. You know, we'll see you soon, a couple of days. Um, by the way, we you can't use the name you've been using, which was Jefferson K, uh, that I've been calling myself for a few years. And they said we've got a Jess Kane, a JJ Jeffries, and uh, um, and and there was actually someone who used the name Jefferson K a few years ago. So that's just not going to work. We're thinking of call, changing your name. We're going to call you Shadow something, Shadow Man or Shadow Lane. Well, oh, no, God, that's horrifying. So I said I'll have a name by the time I get there. And it's like, um, and I and I took off across the desert, my '67 Corvette, blazing a trail to Boston as fast as I could, thinking. Rodney Lane, Randy Rhodes. I mean, any any name any name that occurred to me while I'm on the road, you know, Johnny Billboard. I don't, you know, it was like I had to. I couldn't. You know. So I get to Boston, and I'd left Arizona, and it was sunny and warm and beautiful, and people saying, "Good morning, how are you?" Nice people in Arizona. I get to Boston. It's gray and cold, and there's black snow on the ground. And I'm listening to the radio station, and they said, and beginning Monday, Shadow Stevens, 68 WRKO. I was horrified. I was humiliated. So that's how I, it became. I became it. It became me. And I had to create a context around it that would allow me to live life without being in constant humiliation. <laughs> So I, 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 I created the backstory and people would say, uh, so um, your name's not really Shadow, is it Shadow Stevens? Well, you know, it's Native American. Really? Yeah, it's, uh, what, do you know what tribe? Well, I, I'm from North Dakota. So I think probably Sioux or Mandan. Not sure. But do you know what it means? Yeah, it means he who walks with the light. No kidding. Wow. And so then they stopped asking me questions. And it was like, yeah, inside I have a little glimmer of hope. I go, well, that's fun. 
and I and I say it to this day. It was given to me by God. The name actually came from the god of radio at that time, a guy named Bill Drake. Bill Drake was the number one radio person in the country. He created uh, KHJ Los Angeles, like overwhelmingly the number one station on the West Coast. KFRC and in San Francisco was another Drake station. Boston was Drake. They had one. They, they were all the major cities. And he created this format called Boss Radio or Now Radio. And uh, it was a brilliant creation. And he gave me the name. So when I say, you know, they say, um, is your name Shadow? I say, uh, it's God's baffling sense of humor. Really? Yeah, it's given to me by God. No kidding. And then it's Native American. And then... So I've, I've got a lot of things I can fall back on because my whole radio thing was always radio theater. I was always into production. I was always into creating radio theater, whatever it was, whether I was a disc jockey or um, creating programming. And so, you know, everything I ever did had humor in it. It had uh, it was parody. It was, you know, um, tongue in cheek, everything. And I had, you know, great success. I, I um, went from Boston to Los Angeles. Stay, I was at KHJ for six months, and I was on television, you know, doing the Steve Allen show as his sidekick. And when it came time to promote me at the radio station, they didn't promote me. So I, I said, just put it in my contract that I'll get the next full-time position. And they said, we can't do that. We don't know if you're going to be on television or radio. Are you kidding me? It's like the greatest thing ever. I'm on a national television show with a legend, Steve Allen. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And you don't know whether I please. So I quit, and the um, their competition hired me like within a few days. And I went over to work at KRLA, and a few months later they made me program director. And I was going to art center school at that night. And I was happy. They asked me to be program director, and I went, damn. So I created this radio station that was phenomenal and it beat KHJ and it was um, wildly successful and the success there coming, I could go on with the details of these things, you know, forever because uh, they all, they all have shocking twists and tragic endings. Uh, they, they, after I made them number one, they started making demands on me to do this and do that and do this and that. And I knew that, it would ruin what I built, and I'd be blamed. So I quit. I said, look, I'll just stay on as a disc jockey. You get somebody else to do what you want to do. And uh, so they did. They hired this new guy, and he came in, and I went back to Art Center School, and, and then one day he called me in and said, um, i got to let you go. And I laughed. <laughs> that was a joke. He said, no, I'm serious. You're, you're, uh, you're always walking around here smiling, and I know you're cynical about what I'm doing. I said, are you out of your mind? I'm the only one that's happy around here. I'm, I'm at art school. I'm happy without the responsibilities that you have. And I talked to him for two hours, and he still had to stick with it. So then I went to get my severance check, and the accountant looked down his nose at me, and he said, I hope you go out and spend this money in two weeks, and then you don't know where your next penny is coming from. Maybe then you'll come to the meaning of life. I said, what's the meaning of life, Don? 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because management is God. Oh, God, I feel sorry for you. It's true, he raised his voice, and he thumped his finger on the desk. They put the food in your mouth, thump. The roof over your head, thump. Management is God, thump. So I want to wish you the best of luck, Don. Goodbye. And I left and didn't know what I was going to do. And two weeks later, they hired me back for more money. But I was apprehensive about everything that they were doing then, so I couldn't trust these guys. So then I was approached by... The guy, uh, K- uh, Gary Bacosta, who was building a new radio station to be called K-Rock. It was a little AM station at the time, and it was terrible. But he had this big dream, and he wanted me to come over there and be program director when they got the FM station and build something really unique and exciting. And he offered me a Porsche, so I took it. And I went over there, and it was terrible, and it was awful studios, and there was a hostile overthrow of the company, and I was fired. and. And uh, Gary took control and fired everybody who was part of the coup. He made me program director and said, make it work. And I had to build a staff. And then he got the FM station and I built, you know, created the studio and designed the format and did the promos and created the identity, the whole music thing of it. And it was extraordinary. Now, that, now, each of these stories goes on forever, so I don't know how much time you want to spend. <laughs> K-Rock ended with a drama, too. So Let me jump over to the uh, movie career, and I'm curious how you got involved with uh, Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, well, that came after I after – I, well, I didn't entirely quit. I did quit radio, um, and then Gary came back and said, we got the station back on the air. I had quit, and the whole staff quit. And the station went off the air for a year and a half or two years. And he got it back on and he wanted me to come back. And I said, no, you'll never pay me. But I'll tell you what, I will, um, I'll do weekend, I'll, I'll do my best because since you won't pay anybody, I won't have any control of anything, but I'll do my best and I'll do my own shows on the weekend and I'll sell my own time and keep all the money. He said, fine. So I did that through the seventies. And during that time, uh, I had built my production company. And was doing lots of commercials. And I was approached by these guys through my partner at the time, uh, Robbie Davis, um, and his friend, Bob Weiss. Bob Weiss was the producer of this movie, uh, this new movie. And the uh, creators of it, the writers were the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams. And they wanted me to do the voiceover, you know, voiceovers during the movie. And they thought it'd be funny. 
Should premature ejaculation occur, the Joy of Sex album comes equipped with Big Jim Slade. Big Jim, former tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, is outfitted with various whips, chains, and a sexual appetite that will knock your socks off. Big Jim has satisfied women throughout the world, and the capital of Nebraska is Lincoln. And it was great, and, and we had so much fun. They said, well, we want you to do the advertising campaign, do all the commercials, radio and television. And so I did, and they were uh, they won awards, the Big Apple Award in New York, and and it was really fun. It was so much fun that they came back to me afterward and they said, you know what, we'd like to, you know, we don't know, we're going to work on something new. We don't know what, but we really like writing with you and we'd like to do it together, the three of us and you. We get together a couple times a week and see what we come up with. And in my depth of wisdom, I turned them down thinking, well, they've been together since college and I'll be, you know, the third wheel or the fourth wheel as it were and so i said well yeah i got my own projects but thank you so a year later they came back to me and they hired me to to be the voice of a promo reel to go to paramount pictures for their new movie airplane and uh, went on to wild success and i stayed in my studio they paid me three hundred dollars <laughs> But uh, but they, I mean, another great experience, another weird thing that happened. And, um, you know, a lot of things like that happened. Um, back when I was at KRLA, I was signed to do uh, to be the host on camera, television host of the of the first network music show um, it was going to be um, an hour show on NBC. I had a contract signed on a Thursday to do the pilot on a Friday. And uh, everybody was behind it, behind it. They were all really excited. So I took that signed contract and went to the manager of KRLA and I said, great news. I'm going to be the host of a national network television series about music and we can promote the station on it. And he looked at me and said, I think you better decide who puts the butter on your bread. What? You got to decide whether you're going to be in television or radio. But this, but they they work together. One promotes the other. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you better think about it. So I got scared and I uh, turned it down on a Thursday night. And they scrambled because they were shooting the pilot on Friday, and they got Wolfman Jack. And then he went on to be the host for the next ten years. <laughs> oh Lord. Just when he thought he was winning the game, fate took a turn down a blind alley. Rocky Waters. That's my art series. You can see that on Shadow Art, S-H-A-D-O-E, art.com. I do this artwork, and one of the things I did is a series called The Transdimensional Symbolism of Rocky Waters. And in the first uh, in the first piece, they're big canvases and multimedia art. It says... Uh, Rocky Waters is a metaphor for difficult times, and our hero is is depicted as a 1930s field goal, goal kicker, kicking a field goal with his arms out, Christ-like. And he's in every one of the 12 pic, uh, paintings or multimedia pieces. And the first one says, just when he thought he was winning the game, fate took a turn down a blind alley, and suddenly he was forced to confront fear, doubt, and change. 
And then each piece is a different perspective, a different look at, you know, doubt, fear, despair, being overwhelmed, you know, ultimately succumbing to, you know, the violence of despair and, uh, and then resurrection. And, uh, so you can see that if you want. That's kind of interesting. It was at that production studio that I, um, next got my next big opportunity was to do a television campaign for a, um, 14, there were 14 little stores in Southern California called the Federated Group. And they wanted me to do their advertising campaign. I started doing their radio and then I had this idea uh, for a television campaign. And they said, well, let's give it a shot. And I said, if it works, will you give me creative control? So I never have to do the same thing twice. And he goes, he rolled his eyes. Yeah, fine. So we did the first commercials one weekend and business went up 500% that weekend. And we were off and running and ended up doing 1,100 different commercials in over a period of six years. And they uh, and that put me on television. So then I was a face and I was acting and I was doing all these different characters. And it was me and a, and a team of six guys. It was like Monty Python. And every week we would turn out six or eight commercials in a week. It was crazy. And it was the most fun I ever had in my life. We never had a fight. We never, everybody could count on everybody. The, all these guys went on to have, you know, pretty successful careers after uh, working for me. One became the head of production at HBO for 20 years. And other guys went to work at CNN and, and NBC. And another became a director. Another became the, uh, the editor-in-chief of uh, major magazines. It's really, uh, really fabulous time. Really great fun. But that's how I got onto, uh, you know, on screen on television to have a chance to do all these other things, like, for example, tracks, which is, you know, I guess the heartbeat of what we're here to talk about. How did they approach you and say we want you to be in this, and what was the the circumstances around that? Well, it was the peak of the success of Federated. Literally, it was a cult. If we would open up a new Federated store people would stand in line a block long up to two hours to come in and meet Fred, my character. It, it was a phenomenon and it happened all over. We'd fly to Sa uh, Sacramento. We went to Phoenix. We, everywhere we went and we opened up another, and they were, they became great big stores. They were like Best Buy stores. They were huge. They, it grew from 14 little stores in Southern California to 78 superstores in five States in four years. And, so we were like, you couldn't get away from it. And and because we never, no commercial ever ran longer than 10 days. And there were always five or six different commercials. There was like new info, new product, new ideas, new funny things uh, over and over and over again, week after week, month after month. The um, creator, the writer, producer of tracks is a guy named Gary DeVore, who had been a successful writer of a couple of, action movies and he worked for Dino De Laurentiis and he had this idea, this insane idea for tracks. He'd written a script that was a parody of action movies that was just outrageous that did really unspeakable um, things in horrifying ways, but all in the name of fun, you know, tracks was a mercenary 
who was fearless and ran all over the globe, you know, saving the day. But he really wanted to get out of the action game and bake cookies. He wanted to be the next famous Amos. So I read this script and it was hilarious. And I thought, well, this is phenomenal. And and they believed at that time that this would be the next Crocodile Dundee. It would be the big independent film success of the year. And they had a, a pretty significant budget, I think 10 or $15 million. And Dito Rattis owned the studio. So we would go to North Carolina and shoot this thing. And so Gary hired me. I took it really seriously. I studied acting with the best people I could find. Nina Foch. Nina Foch is a Hollywood legend, and she had studied at Stanislavski, and and uh, she worked with me privately for months and was phenomenal, amazing. And I, you know, did all these workouts. I worked with Mr. Olympia, Mike Christian. Build up that body. Grow that hair long. Get giant. We went off to North Carolina. So the first day out on the set, I walk onto the set and it looks amazing, this small town. It was beautifully lit and the cinematographer from Italy. And I walk out on the set and I think, this is amazing. And then I see in the middle of the town square, this is the end, this is the propose, this is what they proposed to end the movie with. This is the final scene, which was the three villains had been captured by tracks and are put in electric chairs in the middle of town square. And they have on baby pajamas with footsies, you know, and red, white, and blue. It was so over the top and so stupid. I was horrified. And I went to Gary and I said, I got a really good sense of humor. I got what? Ex- explain this to me. Why is this funny? And he went, oh, God, people are going to love this. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. It's hilarious. We're going to love this. No, trust me. Trust me. And I wrote in my journal that night, we're doomed. And they were, uh, they were going out and drinking every night and rewriting the script and making it kookier and wackier. And, and it became unfocused. And it was, uh, you know, and I would show up every day and go, I got to do make this the best I can. And I don't know what will come of it. And, you know, and weeks went by and middle of the night shoots, incredibly cold and difficult. And to get this whole thing done and it goes back to De Laurentiis to be edited and De Laurentiis declares bankruptcy. Just when he thought he was winning the game, fate took a turn down a blind alley. So he declares bankruptcy and now Gary is in there editing. He's editing and going, you know, as fast as he can. He's like, gonna get some, I'm gonna make this work, I'm gonna make this work. And they hated the edit and they do another edit and they hated that and they did another one. And they hated it. Then they took it away from him and they gave it to some other people who were editing it and that didn't work. And, and, uh, and finally, uh, the, the company went under and they sold the assets to HBO and, um, and they edited it together and slapped on the world's worst soundtrack. And uh, and just put it out on HBO. It was never released. Um, Gary went on a drinking spree, driving around the country for a year in his car, just drinking every day. Uh, just freaked him out, overwhelmed him. He was crushed, and um, and he ended up dying uh, a couple of years later in his car. They found him like uh, just under an underpass somewhere, uh, like by Santa Barbara or something. He was an alcoholic that was untreated and just ended up uh, doing him in. 
and nobody ever really knew what he died of or what they just found his body. But uh, tracks went on, and and I had and I had seen this cut, and I was you know hoping for the best, and I I was horrified. I hated it. I hated the way it was edited. Hated the way it was put together. And I owned my own studio, my Shadow Vision studio at the time. We were doing still to be doing the commercials. I said I said to Dino, I said just give me the footage. I'll do it for free. Just give us a shot at editing this together and making a, a good film out of it. And he wouldn't do it. So I was, I was crushed, disappointed, embarrassed, and never wanted to see it again and didn't for years. And then my nephew grew up watching it and thinking it was the funniest movie he'd ever seen. He watched it a hundred times and other people I would hear from us became this cult classic of maybe it's so bad. It's good. Or, because the ideas are so insane that people just loved it. Years later, just a few years ago, the guys at um, Hollywood Theater up in Portland, Oregon, do a thing called B-Movie Bingo. It's genius. They, they, uh, they put on shows like on a Saturday night, B-Movie action movies, and they, uh, and they play bingo during the movie. And they wanted to do one with tracks and have me there. So I go there. And my wife and I, and this is the first time I'd seen it in years. And during the film, they hand out bingo cards and they have um, all of the cliche things that happen in all B movies. You know, hero gets thrown out of a third story window. Hero gets, you know, um, reprimanded by his boss. Um, you know, everything that you can think of. And as they happen in the movie, they uh, call it out, and then people look down at their bingo cards and then cross off. Hero gets thrown out of a third-story window. Okay, um, Hero gets reprimanded by boss. Click, click. And then somebody will shout out, bingo! They stop the film. People run down the aisle and go to the front desk to the guys and go, yeah, I'm thrown out of a third-story window. And it's like, that's back. oh, yeah, that's a bingo. And they give them a prize, and then they start the movie again. It was hilarious. And the place was packed and people roared and I saw it in new light and thought, well, uh, that's hilarious. It's, it's, I, I couldn't see it for all my hopes for it and disappointments in it, but I still went and, and cut together a, um, a version of my own just because I have my own studio. And I made it an hour long and I cut out all the awful music and I put in different sounds and music and made it go a hundred miles an hour and cut out all the stupid stuff. You can watch it on YouTube. It's tracks remix and it plays well. And it's, uh, and it's an assault and it has all the funny, stupid stuff and garbage. You dump trash, you kill and come back again and you're dead. <laughs> Everybody out. I emailed Jerome Gary about uh, doing an interview, and he, he just wrote back and said, "Don't be ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> Trash yeah. is never finished, but Dino slapped it together. One of the worst films ever. It is, and yet it's still funny. I wanted it to be a real film, and it could have been in the right hands with the right uh, details, the right soundtrack and the right editing and the you know maybe a little more seasoned director uh he did his best he'd never done a movie before he just did a uh, documentary he's a very bright guy and i think he was um 
the uh, son of people who owned you know, like huge portions of AT&T or something. I think he was very wealthy and a good guy, easy to work with. I enjoyed him. I liked him a lot. Never saw him again. I seem to remember reading that Priscilla Barnes was an item with Gary DeVore for a while. Was there any evidence of that on set? No, I didn't see any of that uh, with Gary DeVore. I don't know. I don't. I actually don't know. I, you know, I was married happily to the to Beverly, who I'm still with today, and um, you know, even the uh, the. The the parody love scene with Priscilla Barnes, I was completely anxious about. It's like, lock down the set, and I don't want my wife walking in on this. It's like, too uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, it's taking it all so seriously. Well, that must have been a lot of pressure on you. Here's your first big theatrical movie, and you're not just a supporting player. You are the lead, the title character, and all this pressure is on you to carry this film through. Yeah. And then, and I honestly did everything that I could to make it great. I didn't really think it was necessary for me to build myself up into this gigantic body and have this long, the, the hair uh, Trax's hair is Gary DeVore's hair. Trax is Gary DeVore. I played Gary DeVore superhero. Um, that's what it was. He wanted me to look like that. Because my hair at that time during Federated, it was the best um, that I'd ever been. I'd come out of being a drug addict and and uh, had lost 50 pounds and took up martial arts. And I was in really great shape. And my hair was short and, and clean cut. And and uh, all of a sudden, he wanted me to be this uh, mullet guy that <laughs> with these giant muscles. And I did it all. I, I, you know, they hired the uh, the trainers, and I trained day and night. I trained every day at goals, and uh, at night I was, you know, doing um, I think it was kung fu at the time, and running, and just I did everything, and then taking classes every day with Nina Posh, and trying to you know, learn what I needed to do to make this thing work, so I wouldn't be embarrassed, and uh, hardly slept, and. It is what it is, you know. It turned out to be what it what it was, but it was a disappointing experience. But now, when I look back, it was a, uh, in many ways, a really great experience. What was the atmosphere like on set? It was fun. People were. It was terrific. People. I became good friends with a bunch of them, and I even went to uh, Italy. The cinematographer lived in Rome, and and when we went to Rome, he. Uh, picked us up and gave us the tours of the city. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions, Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. You know, we had a great time. Really, really nice people. But then, of course, in the aftermath, everybody everybody was let down because everybody's expectation was that this could be huge. Everybody. The expectation was this would be Crocodile Dundee for 1987 or whatever it was. And uh, so everybody was crushed by what happened. 
and and their lack of ability to be able to make it work, even knowing that there were great moments and re- and really fun ideas in the film, if it could just be put together right. And then, of course, because of the bankruptcy and and everything, it was taken out of everybody's hands, and it became what it is. That um, you know soundtrack is is called qualifyingly. Oh, that '80s soundtrack. No, '80s had great music. That soundtrack sucked. It was stupid, obnoxious, brash, annoying, and took away from you know the way everything in the film was was treated seriously. You know, the, all of the acting was you know this really stupid stuff happening by people who are, who aren't don't know that this is a comedy. But the music commented on it. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible soundtrack. Yeah, I noticed you really cut around that as much as you possibly could in your remix. Oh, a- absolutely. I just hated it. Hated it so much. It's just embarrassing. Your YouTube channel is just a, a wealth of fantastic stuff. It is so nice to be able to see Shadow Vision and Laugh Now, Think Later, you know, in their entirety out there. It is, it's wonderful. No, thank you. It, it, I, you know, it, it's that thing about if you are, you know, if, if life hands you a lemon, what do you do with it? And I have had to change and change and change and adapt over and over and over again against my will. And it's made me smarter and more accomplished and, and better at doing things. And I, I can now create almost anything I can think of with my own tools and my own studio and try new things uh, without having to count on anybody else. But that's only because I was forced against my will to do things, to learn things, and become accomplished at things that I had no intention of being uh, of doing. You know, I, I uh, had to learn how to do commercials, and I figured it out, how to write them, how to produce them, and I, you know, how to act. Well, I, I didn't become a great actor, but, you know, the stuff I did isn't embarrassing, and some of it's pretty funny. You know, in production and in art and in, uh, you know, doing music, doing jingles, doing, you know, radio station things. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that I was forced to learn. When I, um, you know, after, um, after tracks, um, I didn't have a chance to do anything for a couple of years. And then I, um, Fred Silverman, the legend, Fred Silverman, probably the greatest single programmer in television history made number one abc number one nbc number one and cbs number one at different times and he is the guy who produced max monroe loose cannon he brought me in said what would you like to do i said i'd like to do like a uh, miami vice with a with a sense of humor you know uh, somewhere between miami vice and lethal weapon and uh, he liked that idea and his partner is dean hargrove who created some of the most successful television series in history. And that was the team, Fred Silverman, Dean Hargrove, me, great ideas. So we do loose cannon and it's signed to CBS. And it's going to be on, it's an hour series and great, great ideas and great locations. Everything about it was great. And while we're in the middle of production, Fred Silverman had a heart attack. And was out. He wasn't there to negotiate with CBS. He wasn't there. 
to help promote it. He wasn't there to help get it placed in the right time slot. We were on our own and they hardly, they hardly promoted it and it didn't take off. And they put it on Friday night, which is a death place. And again, it was like, here's something that has great potential. And it was never realized. It, it ended with seven episodes and um, like one, two hour and six others. And there are great moments on YouTube, I'm on my YouTube channel, of scenes from, from Loose Cannon. And they're terrific. They're really funny. Very clever. Um, and you can see that if it had been given a shot like they gave to Lethal Weapon when they put it on recently, um, it could have gone on for a long time and, and been quite successful, but that isn't what fate had in store. But then, and then, so then when you're, when you're uh, the lead of a failed network television series, people don't bend over backwards looking to give you jobs. <laughs> so it was some time before I was even given opportunities to audition. But then finally I went in and auditioned for Dave's World with Harry Anderson and, and it clicked and it was, Fabulous. And so that went on to four years of great success. It was a top 20, top 10 show sometimes and uh, was on for four years and a really fabulous experience. Harry Anderson was uh, brilliant and Meshach Taylor was extraordinary. Really, really great people. The kid on that was Zane Carney. Zane Carney has become um, a world-class musician. He's like, uh, he's toured with John Mayer. He's, uh, he's extraordinary. And, um, and, you know, you can check out his stuff. He does stuff online, Zane Carney. His brother, Reeve Carney, is equally, if not more, I mean, they're so talented that you just go, my God, why aren't these guys superstars? Reeve is like, uh, Freddie Mercury meets John Lennon. He just, you should listen to some of his music. And he produced it all, uh, recorded it all, played all the parts in the choruses, all the instruments. And it, some of it sounds like he's got a, um, a, a gospel choir with it. it. It's really, really fabulous. So these are uh, people I met on Dave's World. I'm curious. You've done so many things and you are showing no signs of slowing down. I'm curious what you're working on now. I still, I do a lot of voiceovers. Uh, I just uh, was signed to do um, a big campaign for the IFC channel, which I'm recording tomorrow. And uh, I do um, Antenna TV Network. I do all of their promos and, and things and commercials and, and this and that. And meanwhile, I work on, on a lot of projects. And I have I have two television shows that I created that I'm in partnership with Vin DeBona. Vin is one of the most successful producers in TV history. He created America's Funniest Videos, and it's been on in prime time every week for 28 years. So he's rather successful. And um, so we're taking that those out together, and they show great promise. I have another one with my, uh, with my partner that I uh, have, I'm taking out on my own, and I have, um, I have about eight different things in advanced states of development series and all different, you know, from, from sci-fi comedy to, uh, um, I created a series based on Los Angeles radio in 1984. And I think it's fantastic. And, it, and, and the premise is 
that it's 1984. It's Southern California. Blue skies, puffy white clouds, warm. The happiest music in the world. The soundtrack is unbelievable. The music of, of that era was amazing. And so it's this happy music. And everywhere you went in 1984, people were listening to the radio. It's the height of the radio industry, the height of the music industry. And there was no other way to get music. So every store, every car, every restaurant had music playing from the radio station. And so it's a it's a hybrid of K-Rock and KMET. And while people in the real world are out having the happiest place on earth during the Summer Olympics 1984, are the guys at the radio station backstabbing, entitled, arrogant, drug-addicted, drug-dealing, murder, everything you can imagine. <laughs> it's behind the scenes because people are so insane. And that's all based on true stuff, on real people that I knew. And it's kind of built on that. This is a this is a wildly fictional account of a true story. So I've pitched that. And then I wrote um, children's books for my daughters when they were young, 25 years ago. And I woke up saying button-sided hooey out loud after a dream. And I wrote it down. It sounded like Dr. Seuss. So I thought, I'm going to write Dr. Seuss book for my daughters. And I spent ultimately three years writing this epic three-chapter or three-book deal. Um, Alice in Wonderland meets the Wizard of Oz by way of Dr. Seuss. And um, it's wildly creative, and it's it's an allegory, and it's it has great meaning and, and a great quest. And everybody turned it down, every publisher. They, they would look down their noses at me. And, and uh, it's very reminiscent of Lewis Carroll. And we wouldn't want to offend Mr. Carroll, would we? No, Mr. Carroll's dead. I don't think we can you know, offend Mr. Carroll. So it did matter. So I, I collected all these things, and I just gave up. And 25 years later, the uh, head of development for a film company started by an, a former executive of DreamWorks, and backed by a giant Chinese conglomerate, said he heard me at a party tell the story. And he said, would you and your daughter come in and pitch this? And my daughter, Amber Stevens-West, is you know, real successful television actress now. She was in 22 Jump Street. She was in Greek, The Carmichael Show. And now she's in a new show that starts in October on CBS. CBS, Monday night, same as Dave's World, uh, called Happy Together. And it's fabulous. Damon Wayans Jr. She's, she plays his wife and, and it's really funny. So she and I go in and then we pitch this thing and it's phenomenal. It's a great success. And uh, the head of the company raved about it and they just went on and on for a half hour. And a few weeks later, they made me an offer as the worst offer I ever got for anything. Said, Why don't I just sell you one of my daughters too? And you can own them throughout the world in perpetuity. And do whatever you want with them, and just send me a you know check every once in a while. No, so I give it to my lawyer, and my lawyer looks. He says, "You can't sign this. It's terrible. It's an awful deal. We don't even want to negotiate it. Go and write the script. Don't count on anybody to do anything." So I uh, ended up sitting down and writing it, and I finished it uh, two weeks ago, and um, and turned it in, and I'm waiting for them to uh, get back to me. See if they like it as much as I do or what? Will it work? I don't know. But as I told you in a, another conversation, 
we had, uh, <clears throat> I live in potential because you cannot let your mind, the mind left to its own will look for what's wrong and make a list. And then it'll tell a narrative and the narrative gets darker and darker as if, you know, being depressed or dismayed is going to get you what you want. You know, there's like no upside to being in despair. So I'm fighting it with every breath. And that means the spirit controls the mind and I stay busy. And when I'm working on something, there's a shot at a future for it that maybe this could be something great. And I throw myself into it and I work on it. And then I do the best I can and I try to do something with it. And then while I'm trying to do something with that, another idea comes to me. I want to do this. So I work on that. And when I'm not working on that, I'll do some art. And I'm not doing the art, I go to a movie. <laughs> you know, that's my life. I work, I go to movies, I do yoga, I meditate, and I spend time with my family. And I have no right to complain. Life is good. Mr. Stevens, thank you so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. It's great talking to you. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me. How are you doing? Nice to see you. <laughs> Sorry. It's funny. I actually was just text messaging with a friend because I'm missing class right now. You are. And my film class. And it's so funny because they're watching American Beauty today and analyzing it. American Beauty? Mm-hmm. What's funny about that? You were in that. No, was it? American Beauty? Nope. What's the one with the rose petals? I'm not in that. That's not you? No. Really? No. Really? I swear to God. Am I just very confused? I think you are. The Beverly Hills, land of Hollywood dreams. Here at his hillside home, the author of Elephant Parts, executive producer of Repo Man, and inventor of MTV. Ex-monkey Michael Nesmith ponders the depths of his latest film, Tapeheads. That's it. You know... Every filmmaker hopes to make a great and lasting film. A film of such scope and depth that it changes our lives somehow. That lifts us up and gives us hope. Maybe do something about the smog. A film that could drive a car and speak German and run errands and, you know, pick up the cleaning, things like that. A film that you could watch after... A really big meal and still not blow chow. Well, I think I've made a film like that with tape heads. Yo, Briz, check this out. Rock goes the name and they call me the king. Grandmaster of the chicken and the waffle thing. I sit now read my lips. Hey, friends, don't miss a word. Cause the Grandmaster's gonna give you the bird. That's right. We'll be back next week with an episode on tapeheads. Yeah, you know it's gonna be really fun to talk about tapeheads. Actually, you know, I I just watched it the other day, and it was a lot of fun because I I probably haven't seen tapeheads in the better part of a decade at least. Yeah, and it's another '88 De Laurentiis film, so there'll be uh, plenty more to talk about. So, Justin, final thoughts on tracks? Yeah, you know, I just again, I, I think it's just a, a super hilarious film. It's really well done, very tongue in cheek. Uh, just a goofball comedy that if you know you want a night of fun and, and kind of laughing at something stupid and pointless, check tracks out. It's the way to go. 
And then also, you know, just like last week's show on Crime Wave, I think it's it's another film that really needs to be on DVD, and it's kind of a tragedy that it's not. And they put out worse things on DVD, so why not tracks? They put out a Criterion of Armageddon. They should put out these films on DVD. Listen, I'm proud owner of the Criterion Armageddon. So am I. So am I. So I'm just saying, the only unfortunate thing is that now I have two versions of Armageddon, the original and the Criterion. So if I can have two versions of that, two versions of Con Air... Two versions of Fifth Element, I should be able to have one version of Tracks and one version of Crime Wave. So I gotta ask, is it time to have a cookie? Yeah, I'll go up, I'll get some cookies. So Mike, while you're going up to grab some chili con cookies, I just wanna take a few minutes to uh, give some quick shout outs. You know, I'd like to give a special thank you. Bill Dever from the B Movie Celebration was actually instrumental in terms of setting me up with doing the interview with Shadow Stevens. And so I really appreciate him helping me out with that. Uh, you know, Mike will be actually heading down to the B-Movie Celebration at the end of September. And so if anyone wants to go see some great films on the big screen and hang out with Mike, uh, you can actually get more information at uh, bmoviecelebration.com. Also, I want to invite everyone to check out Shadow Stevens' new radio program. He's back on the air. It's a regional show, It's and it's also online in the form of a podcast. Uh, it's this really cool, weird, like crazy comedy show. It's like a freak freak show for your ears and it you know sort of a reminder of the crazy stuff he was doing on la radio back in the 70s uh you can check that out at mentalradio.net and then also since i'm shamelessly plugging stuff now uh, you know robert davi's uh got a new cd coming out he'll be issuing uh the cd it's called uh davi does sinatra i think and uh he may be even doing a tour across the u.s uh you can listen to samples they're really great he does a really nice job his voice is really uh really beautiful you know he's a trained opera singer and so, uh, you know, he also covers one of my favorite Sinatra songs, which is in the wee small hours of the morning. And uh, you can check that out at DaviSingSinatra.com. Well, we have a link on our site. I want to make an announcement. Uh, you know, Mike and I will actually be issuing a couple bonus shows in the next couple weeks. Uh, Mike and I will be uh, talking with our friend Josh Hadley from the Radio Joan podcast. And we'll be discussing the 1999 Captain America uh, versus the new 2011 film, Captain America. And we'll be playing back an interview that Mike and I did with Albert Pune a few months back. It's just a little something, something. And there's something else, too, coming up. But you have to wait and see. Also, if you have a fancy phone like I do, you can get our show on Stitcher. You can get us on iTunes as well. So please visit us on iTunes and leave us some feedback, a comment. It helps. Here, eat this. (coughs) You okay? Dude, these cookies have way too much chili in them. How did I know you were going to say that? Be sure to check out our show's official website at projection-booth.com, and we'll be posting Mike's recipe for chili con cookies as he made for the show today. They are good, even though they could use a little less chili. There weren't any directions on the internet or in any cookbook I, you know, about how to make cookies with chili in them, so just be grateful that I made them at all. <sighs> yeah, you're right. I'm really sorry. All right, we'll see you next week. Eat up. You're not leaving until you finish those damn cookies.
Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this special redux version of the Projection Booths episode of Tracks. You know, this is Quentin Tarantino's favorite episode of the Projection Booth. Take that as you will. If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.